0: Hello and welcome to the CSF Rheumatology Author Interview podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the uh, Griffith University in Brisbane. And today we're very, very fortunate to uh, be joined by Professor Gerd Burmeister from the Charite in in Berlin. Welcome. Today we're going to discuss two recently published papers uh, which analyze the safety of tofacitinib in psoriatic arthritis and hepatitis B uh, in baricitinib trials with rheumatoid arthritis. So let's think about the first paper, which is an integrated study, which analyses the safety of tofacitinib in psoriatic arthritis and compares it to real-world data. Um, Good, can you tell us a little bit about how this study was put together and uh, what you tried? What was the objective of the study?
1: Yeah, obviously, uh, psoriatic arthritis is a very interesting disease. And first of all, let me uh, thank you very much, Peter and CSF, for having uh, joining me today. And um, thoracic arthritis obviously is a a very important indication uh, since we see quite a few patients with this disease and it has some uh, special features also in terms of safety. Usually patients are a little bit younger than rheumatoid arthritis, but also there are particular features like obesity, maybe more alcohol use. So it's a particularly interesting uh, cohort to study and uh, so that's why we went ahead. We took two studies uh, with tofacitinib called Opal-Broaden and Opal-Beyond and one long-term extension study, Opal-Balance. And I think what is is quite interesting also, we were able to uh, look into a a tofacitinib uh, comparison cohort on a a large data bank uh, that had a lot of other patients with other diseases so that we were able to compare the TOFA data to, let's say, biologics and, and many, many others. And uh, we were looking in also into the placebo-controlled cohort, into this particular cohort, into all of them, and were particularly interested in uh, um, infections, obviously, in malignancies, in cardiovascular events, and obviously deaths.
0: And how long was the follow-up period with all these patients? How, how many patient years, roughly, were you able to track these patients out for?
1: Well, that depends on the various studies. And I think it's probably uh, go, go back to, to the paper and for the individual uh, cohorts. But we obtained data up to 12 months.
0: 12 months. And I, I'm conscious of the EMA decision in the, in the use of, of tophacitlib in particular, how has that affected its use, even in psoriatic arthritis, in Germany?
1: Well, I, I must say we were a little bit surprised when we learned about the data with the 65H bracket, uh, which was derived from one study that is not yet published. So we will have ultimately have to look into the data. Uh, obviously, most patients with psoriatic arthritis are younger, and therefore the 65H bracket has not been Reached. So uh, uh, obviously, if a patient is uh, 65 and beyond, is not a candidate for that particular treatment. If the patient is younger, it certainly is.
0: Okay. And what did you find in this study? What was the, it was an observational study. What were the results?
1: I think basically it comes down to, to the fact that uh, the, uh, the safety profile of tofacitinib was not really any different uh, from, from what we know. With other uh, modern uh, DMARs like like Biologics, and uh, so uh, that was quite reassuring. Um, You will you will see that in in the paper quite quite in greater detail. Uh, What stuck out obviously was the herpes zoster signal that we know from uh, most of the DAC inhibitors that we know, because this has also been shown for Baricitinib. And you so far. We know the uh, RA studies, but uh, this was also evident here uh, in in uh, for uh, Tofacitinib.
0: Did you see a dose response between five and ten milligrams BD? My gastro colleagues are very concerned of the ten milligram BD dose in ulcerative colitis.
1: Yeah, we we, we see it in in general for the Jak inhibitors if you dose higher it is likely that you have more herpes zoster signal. And, um, there will be one uh, paper at EULAR from the uh, rabbit registry also confirming uh, this higher uh, zoster rate in RA patients uh, in, in, uh, in our uh, German registry.
0: So the, the VTE issue is something we can't ignore. Was there any signal in these patients at either dose?
1: No, there was uh, no signal in this particular study as uh, was in in the uh, general uh, program of uh, tofacitinib. Obviously, we are all aware of um, uh, the one study that the EMA was uh, uh, referring to where you saw a higher risk with uh, 10 milligrams of uh, tofacitinib. So therefore, uh, my daily uh, clinical practical advice is if a patient is truly at higher risk for a VTAE and that is usually if they already had experienced such an event, I would uh, be uh, more hesitant to give a JAK inhibitor to this, to this particular patient. But if it's, let's say, a regular patient without any significant risk factors, I would certainly be alerted that this might be an issue, but I would uh, that would not really... Uh, take me away from giving a jack inhibitor to this particular.
0: And do you believe there's any difference between the JAKs as far as VTE is concerned, Kurt? uh
1: We will have to wait for the overall data of the GOTINIP, um, which we uh, will probably see and, and some details will be presented at ULAR. And uh, we will also have to look into peficitinib, um when we have more Japanese data so that we can uh, look into the overall picture. But what we know from uh, tofacitinib, paracitinib and upatacitinib, that truly is a signal of roughly three to four events per 100 patient years. Obviously, uh, there is a big debate now that you could potentially prevent herpes zoster and make it a non-issue if uh, the vaccine against uh, um, herpes zoster were available and uh, the, the uh, non-live vaccine, which is quite effective. And we hope that this will be available to all the patients that will be in need of a JAK treatment.
0: Okay, and were there any response modifiers? Did background TNF exposure or steroids affect any of the safety signals, either infection or zoster? Was there any other messages from the safety side of the study?
1: I think uh, basically um, we we have a somewhat elevated risk with the biologics, which is not so strong in, in the arthritis patients. Actually, uh, um, we looked into many, many uh, thousands of patients um, also for TNF-blocking for agents and in previous papers, and there the uh, the infectious risk profile in psoriatic arthritis is, is very good uh, compared to... Um, Obviously, rheumatoid arthritis and ulcerative um, colitis or Crohn's disease. Why is that so? Because in, in these diseases, we have much more comorbidity. Rheumatoid arthritis patients are older. They frequently use co-medication with glucocorticoids, which is usually not done with uh, psoriatic arthritis. So I see quite a few patients with psoriatic arthritis, and in my patients, basically, and issues are not really prevalent and uh, it is different in, in the other diseases.
0: Okay. And I'm not very familiar with the Truven market scan. Can you just tell us what kind of a database that is from the U.S.?
1: I think it's a, it's a useful American database where they uh, look into patients with the, uh, uh, with the chronic arthritis that they have identified based on these files. And then you can look into the characteristics of these patients and then can match the age, sex, and so on, and then have a reasonable comparison to your trial population. It will never be perfect, I must say, because uh, the, the, the database may be somewhat older than the clinical trials. It takes a while to accrue all these data, but I think it's, it's, it's the best we can get in order to at least get an idea of the background safety profile.
0: Okay, so let's tick off the adverse events of interest, just really to see if PSA is different to rheumatoid, but the creatinine and the CK and the liver and the lipids and the neutrophils, do you see any, any signals or any differences from what you would expect from the class of JACS?
1: Yeah, I think all what we, what we know is that usually uh, it is more benign than rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, or the IBDs. I think you see less signals there, which is due to uh, uh, less co-medication, uh, would single out especially the glucocorticoids. The patients are younger, there is, uh, 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 and, and uh, sometimes the patients are also more active, they, they are more able to, to do sports and, and other things. So in, in general, the safety profile of psoriatic arthritis is, is, is better compared to these other diseases.
0: So, for the practicing clinician, any take-home messages from this safety study?
1: Well, the take-home message is yes. In in, in our data, compared to uh, an observational data, compared to placebo and, and to to biologics, it it is uh, it doesn't really have a a different uh, a safety prog- uh, profile compared to these other drugs. You certainly have to to uh, watch out for herpes zoster. And otherwise, we were not able to, to identify any new risk. Obviously, since the observation period was limited due to the nature of the trials, a longer term follow up will be needed uh, to provide additional uh, safety information. And that is actually currently being done. As you also are aware, studies have been done with eupatacetinib so that we will get uh, another comparator. Uh, as a jack inhibitor, and then we will be able to look at, into both drugs and get even a better uh, information about the safety profile of these drugs.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much. Can we, can we uh, just ask how you manage the vaccination issue in Germany? We can't get the killed vaccine. We can only get the live vaccine. But following your example, I did buy myself some Shindrix. Yep. Last time I was in Canada and had both doses. Thank you. What uh, What do you do with your patients? They're usually at a stage where their arthritis is flaring. They're badly needed biologic, jack inhibitor, normal, you know, non-targeted synthetic biologic, and it's just at the wrong time to be having this vaccination discussion. How do you handle it in your
1: clinic? Well, I mean, you need to be pragmatic, and once the vaccine is there in the pharmacy. uh, And obviously, you always need to to have two doses. That is an important message because it doesn't make sense to vaccinate a patient with one dosage and two months later you learn nothing is available anymore. So I always secure two doses for these two injections. And then I'm very pragmatic. I just give it when I have it.
0: Okay, because we have to have this three-week window to give the live vaccine and... It can be quite tricky when someone's bad, that uh, you're you're thinking about cessation. Well, let's move on to, yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Let's move on to the second study, which is one of those things where um, these patients with hepatitis B exposure are are excluded from most trials. Which of the hepatitis B patients that we need to look out for and think about either checking hepatitis B viral DNA, or involving a hepatologist and a second drug in tecavir or lavimiodine? Which are the hep B patients we've got to be careful with? Yeah.
1: So uh, first of all, in my daily clinical practice, I always do hepatitis B and C screening uh, prior to uh, using any any biologic, I must say any, or any DEC inhibitor. It's just part of our program, along with uh, um, a chest X-ray, uh, the quantiferon test and a careful uh, monitoring of uh, if there has been any previous ADD exposure. And uh, also reactivation of hepatitis B virus is is a well-recognized complication in patients receiving DMARS. And obviously, it is particularly interesting in the Asian region region where there is in in many countries a higher prevalence of hepatitis E, but we don't know. Uh, of the hepatitis B reactivation uh, in patients on JAK inhibitors. That actually was uh, the starting point of our trial to look into uh, hepatitis B reactivation. Uh, in this case, uh, we use baricitinib, which is a JAK inhibitor against JAK1 and 2 uh, If I go to the, to the methods, we also had four completed phase three trials and one ongoing long term extension trials in which we had patients naive to dmarts non responsive to dmarts or so non responsive primarily to tnf inhibitors and uh, the patients were all tested for hepatitis b virus surface antigen which we call hbsg ag the core antibody and the surface antibody and the patients were excluded in the general program if they were for obvious reasons hepatitis surface antigen positive or hepatitis B core antibody positive, but negative for hepatitis surface antibodies and hepatitis surface antibody positive. And if they had hepatitis B virus DNA uh, uh, recognizable there. So uh, then uh, hepatitis uh, uh, B virus DNA monitoring, was performed in in Japan for those patients who were C-antibody positive and or hepatitis S-antibody positive at uh, at screening, and then globally for all patients who had uh, hepatitis B-C antibodies. And uh, so what were the results? And I think the results are quite interesting, and I would say quite reassuring. So we had Close to 3,000 patients that received at least the one dosage. And out of these uh, roughly 3,000 patients, a little bit more than 200 patients uh, had a baseline uh, serology suggestive of prior hepatitis B virus infection. They were hepatitis Core antibody positive, and they received also a post baseline DNA test. And of these uh, 215 patients, uh, roughly 15% were hepatitis B virus in A positive at some point following treatment initiation. And only eight of these patients, which is about 4%, had a single quantifiable result, which was set at uh, 29 units per ml. And again, out of these eight patients, only four met the definition of reactivation of hepatitis E. Namely, a uh, DNA level above 100 uh, uh, units per milliliter. Of note, no patient developed clinical evidence of hepatitis, and in five of eight patients, antiviral therapy was not used. So This is basically uh, the study design, which is uh, not, easy underst- uh, not easy to understand, it's a little bit complicated, but that's the nature of the matter of the serology of hepatitis B. But I think we did the best we could in this large patient population to look into these issues.
0: And so, when would you involve a hepatologist? Which kind of patients are the alarm bells where involve a hepatologist and think about additional antiviral therapy?
1: Yeah. So I think in, in conclusion, and to, to to follow your your question, I think we we must realize that hepatitis B virus reactivation can occur in these patients. Our data suggests that uh, such patients I mentioned should be monitored for uh, hepatitis B virus DNA during treatment. And they might be treated safely with the use of uh, antiviral therapy as needed. And obviously here, a hepatologist is necessary. I'm very lucky because the hepatologist is right across my office. I just leave my door, go to the next Mm -hmm. door, and there's the hepatologist. And I asked them, and, and they're usually, uh, I must say, at least in our center, very helpful. So they're not, uh, um, uh, say, oh, well, you're coming again, though. No. no, they're quite helpful. And um, so, uh, though the hepatitis B reactivation was seen in, in, in some uh, patients, uh, reactivation was was usually transient, and and in our uh, study did not account for any clinically relevant adverse events. and. So, still, the, the issue is that screening for a viral hepatitis should be performed in accordance with clinical guidelines before starting barcitinate treatment. So, you should look into your local national guidelines. It's certainly different, let's say, in Japan compared to Germany or China. And in patients with serology suggestive of prior infection, the level of expression of hepatitis B virus DNA should be determined and if you, det- if you see that there is DNA then of course a liver specialist should be consulted.
0: Sure so we've always been taught surface antigen positive is a problem but core antibody positive is also one to keep an eye on the, yeah, uh, exactly. the DNA and, and, and that it's, is it's a little different from the tofacitinib study that published from Taiwan where they had a percentage of reactivation but this message is the same um, be careful in those two groups measure their viral DNA, and if there's any concern, get help and uh, cover the patient. It's very reassuring they didn't have major reactivation episode.
1: Absolutely, and and what the hepatologists tell us, uh, if you would uh, do an appropriate hepatitis B treatment, uh, then you're not so much limited in your therapeutic options. And we have a a number of patients uh, with this problem, and they're doing fine.
0: So thank you very much. I appreciate your time on a busy uh, Friday for you. Um, we'd like to um, thank you for uh, your presenting for us. This has been the CSF Author Interview Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others, uploaded to the CSF website this month. Detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignalling.com please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'd welcome some feedback to let us know what you think, how to improve these podcasts. Thank you very much, Gerd, and all the best for the weekend.
1: Thank you very much and all the best for you as well.